I want to read to you from a commentary. Great way to start a sermon, huh? I'm going to try and take you away, stay away from notes this morning. I wanted to really tell you what's on my heart. I believe I've got a message from God. And I think it's simply this. What we need more of in the church and in our world and in our leadership and everything that I've seen over the last few months, weeks, days, is one word, and it's humility. I'll say it again. It is humility before a living God. I couldn't be more thrilled bringing before you a psalm. How many of you know this psalm? Famous, famous psalm. Do you know the circumstances of this psalm? It's right there in the beginning of it. It's actually in the, I think, in the Hebrew text. It gives you the occasion for this psalm. Adultery of a leader Murder by a leader, using other people to murder the husband of the woman he had committed adultery with. And then covering it all up, even though practically probably the whole city knew, because he then takes Bathsheba into his house. But it's also more than that. It's an abuse of power. Does that sound familiar? Abuse of power of leaders. And when Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 actually comes in kindness from the Lord to speak to David and tell him a story that involves David and gets him captured in the story about a rich man and a poor man, a rich man having lots of sheep, the poor man having only one sheep who loved his sheep, even to the point where his sheep loved him and would take food from his hand. And a man comes to visit the rich man. And instead of killing one of his own sheep, he takes his neighbor's sheep, the poor man's sheep, takes the only sheep that he had and kills it and puts that sheep before his guest. And by the time Nathan is telling this story, are you familiar with it? You can go read all this in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. By the time David is hearing this, as the Lord lives, whoever has done this shall be put to death. And preachers for centuries have pondered how it is that Nathan then leans forward and Does he shout these words? Does he whisper these words? Does he just whisper them in David's ear? How does he do it? But he then says, Thou art the man. David was worthy of death. And Nathan goes on to tell him, Even though, David, you are worthy of death, God has forgiven your sin. But he tells him underneath what is the true sin. And it's despising the word of God. I took you from being a shepherd boy. You were nothing. You were a nobody. Everybody looked down upon you. Your brothers looked down upon you. You were the runt of the litter. 
Out mining the sheep, I took you from nowhere, and I made you my anointed. I even said, you are a man after my own heart. You sought after me. You needed me. We were intimate with one another. You depended upon me. And if all the wives and the kingship that I had given you, if that was not enough, God says to David, I would have given you more if you'd just asked me. Now, a lot of you guys are saying amen. More wives. Different era. And God brings against him this word. You have despised me. A few weeks ago, how many of you went to the, um, the evenings we had together? The community meals? Yeah, you remember that? Can you remember some of the questions? As you open the questions and your eyes popped out of your head, really, we're going to ask that at table? Here was one of mine. <laughs> what is the worst thing in America today? What is the greatest problem in America today? It was something along those lines. And as I announced that, everybody goes, Ooh, well, we're not going there. And so I think we all comfortably said, I am. I think that's where our psalm takes us. I am. I'm the worst thing in America today. And I think there's nothing more that the world needs to hear than the church admit that it hasn't been the church very well. If you want a sermon title for this, it would be learning how through this psalm to lead with a limp, to lead with a limp. Further on in the psalm, it says, Will the, may the bones that you've broken be healed, be made whole again, so that I can rejoice even though I've blown it. Let me read to you the very famous preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I knew I was preaching about two, three weeks ago and I've been trying to get my head around and heart around this psalm. And then I read this. They say that the most familiar passages of Scripture are often the hardest to preach from. And this is true of Psalm 51. This is the fourth and sure the greatest of the penitential psalms, says Derek Kidner. Yet who can properly expound it? Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the prince of expositors. Another, another Brit. I'm sorry, I'm bragging, aren't I? He could get more out of a passage than anyone I have ever heard or read. But in the preface to the second part of his first large volume on the Psalms, Spurgeon tells how he postponed working on the Psalm 51 week after week and often sat down to it and got up again without having written a line. And he concluded, listen carefully, it is a bush burning with fire yet not consumed. And out of it a voice seemed to cry to me, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. The psalm is very human, its cries and sobs are of one born of a woman, but it is freighted with an inspiration all divine. As if 
the great father were putting words into his child's mouth. Did you hear that? That's what our whole series is about this summer. It is as if the great father were putting words into his child's mouth. Such a psalm may be wept over, absorbed into the soul, and exhaled again in devotion, but commented on, preached on? Ah, where is he who, having attempted it, can do other than blush at his defeat? Now, having said all that, I'm going to preach. But we do so with humility because here is contained, really, it's right in the middle of our Bibles. The Psalms are right there. It's called the hymn book of the church and of the Old Testament church, the Israelites. 150 Psalms, of which Psalm 51 is one of the penitential or Psalms of lament. And it's a personal lament of when a leader, a king, one who will be Jesus' great, 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 great granddaddy. And yet he fails. He fails to live up to the moral law. And we have here presented before us a word from God. As Spurgeon says, even to put his words in our mouth for when we completely blow it. Are you already thinking of when you've blown it? Hmm? The psalm in many ways is clean and tidy. But when you go to 2 Samuel, you actually see it, it, it was awful. All kinds of people were involved with David's sin, with his adultery and his murder, his abuse of his power. He should have been out fighting, and he wasn't. He was laying back. And then his eye caught a woman on top of her villa top of her home and she was bathing cleansing herself from her her period and he immediately lusted for her called a servant sent for her slept with her she got pregnant then he called for her husband Uriah the Hittite are all these facts familiar to you? a lot of people don't know their Bibles these days don't know where this psalm comes in and the context. Uriah is called back from the battlefield. David asks him to go home to sleep with his wife so he'd cover up his tracks to have his husband sleep with her so he would be seen as the one who got her pregnant. He won't do that because he is honorable. My king, why should I go home to sleep with my wife when my master, Joab, and my brothers in arms are out in the battlefield and they're sleeping in tents. Why would I do that? That would be so dishonoring to them that I would have the easy life when they've got to get the battle life. And so again, David tries the next night to get him drunk. Now drunkenness comes in, fills him with wine, hoping that in his drunkenness he will go back to his wife and sleep with her, but he doesn't. He just sleeps on a couch in the palace. 
And finally, David calls him in, quizzes him again as to why he didn't go to his house, and finally writes a letter, hands it to him, hands his own death warrant to him to give to Joab, and instructs Joab through that letter to put Uriah the Hittite in the heat of the battle of the city that they were going against, the Ammonites. And then when the battle is hot, withdraw your men and let him be slain. Murder. Do you know why I believe the Bible? Do you know why I'm a Christian? Most people don't talk like this. The Bible tells on itself. The Bible tells on its heroes. And there's a good reason for humility as the church, where you were often condemned as always pointing the finger at other people and telling them all about their sins, when what we can do is lead in humility and say, you know what, we're tarred with the same brush too. We've got great saints in the scriptures, mighty men of God, who, just like you, have failed and are sinful, even when they've been proclaiming the name of the Lord. So doesn't it behoove us to be humble and careful how we speak, to not speak out of self-righteousness? But humility does not mean that we are not to be bold. And you'll see that in the text. What is the occasion of this psalm? I think it's this. David, when you think about it, I mean, you can't really blow it much bigger than the way he's blown it. Practically everybody in the city would know And his sin was affecting everybody else. See, not all sin is the same. Even our confession of faith says that. I think it's in the larger catechism. Question 150. Are all sins the same? And the answer is no. It all depends who's doing it. Right? Not all sin is the same. Because if a leader sins, they can often lead by example and lead other people into sin. And the catechism teaches us that. It's the same here. But what I think is actually happening here is that David is walking on those broken bones that he talks about. He's not healed. Nathan the prophet has come to him and said, you're forgiven. You won't die. God is still with you. You're still the king. You're not going to lose your anointedness. But I think David, somewhere deep inside his heart, doesn't believe it. And I think that's why he pens this letter, this this psalm. It's a deep, deep meditation. His sin has taken him deep within himself. And as he's gone deeper and deeper and deeper, he comes to this conclusion. The only thing I have going for me is my approach to God. If you're taking notes, that's the first point, is this psalm teaches us the right approach 
to God, whether you've blown it big time, whether you've blown it little time, whether you've had a squabble in family, it doesn't matter. And let me say another thing. If you don't hear anything I say this morning, take this psalm. It's better read out loud in your own prayer closet than it is for me to preach it to you. Did you hear that? And catch it. You'll begin to catch the emotion of it. It'll, it'll begin to catch in your throat and in your heart. That's where this is best read. And let me tell you something else. After you've read it and you believe it and you feel it, you can go anywhere and be the kind of humble person God needs you to be in church, in politics, at work, anywhere. And you won't be a braggart. Amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Have a whole congregation of humble yet bold people who know that they know that they know God has forgiven them and that they receive mercy and they know how to call other people to receive mercy. Our approach to God is this. Have mercy on me. <laughs> Didn't that sum up the whole of the Bible? Can't you hear Jesus? I've already said, I think, in the prayer, can't you hear Jesus? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the same thing. What do you need more than anything else? To have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. It's said three times, have mercy on me, O God, according to your faithful or your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, whether it be sexual sin, abuse, whatever it is, there's something bigger. That's what we're proclaiming this morning. God is bigger than your sin. His mercy is bigger. God's willingness, this is what mercy is, God's willingness to not give to you what you deserve, which is death. To have mercy on someone is to not give them what they deserve. And all of us, the church should know this, we all deserve death for our sinfulness before God. And then comes the confession of sin, the depth of it. For I know my transgressions, verse 3, and my sin is ever before me against you, and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You were right in your words to me, God, when I did despise your word to me. I knew I was doing wrong, but I did it anyway. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David here goes beyond just sins, behavior, what he does. And he looks inside himself and goes, there's something in my heart. There's something that is tainting me. There is something in me. It is an iniquity. It is a wickedness that I was born with. There is a propensity to be full of pride, to want what I want when I want it. Right now. What is that? It's within me. Out of which I then do sins. 
and behaviors. And he confesses it. In theology, we call this original sin. Have you heard of original sin? Put your hand up if you heard of original sin. We don't talk that much about theology these days. But original sin says that human beings can do nothing good in and of themselves because their whole hearts are tainted with sinful proclivity. David confesses it. Behold, he says, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. In this psalm of repentance, David is bringing his heart in line with the truth. The truth is, I am a sinner in whom there dwells no good thing. And he has to tell the truth. If you're going to repent, you have to tell that truth. You can't be always justifying yourself. Well, it was him or it was her. It was that, that always beating around the bush. No, tell the truth. And then the truth will set you free. There is then an appeal for cleansing. This sermon will lead us straight to the table, won't it? An appeal for cleansing. The very heart of the psalm is verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. When he tells the truth about his condition, folks, this is not depressing. Most people will not confess sin because they think the church is just full of inward-looking people always declaring their sin and it's just bad news and it's just wearisome. No, it's actually through confession of who you are before God and before other people that can actually lead you into joy. The whole of the Bible is about God triumphing through weakness, through sacrifice. That's how he does his work. And here we have David knowing, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop, a little bunch of flowers that would grow in Israel in walls. And you get a bunch of it together, tie it all up. And the priesthood would use the hyssop. And when they were sacrificing a lamb for the sins of the people, they would dip the hyssop in the blood, put it on door mantles, spread it on the people to signify that your sin has been covered. The blood of a spotless lamb, an innocent lamb that was required for you to be set free. That is what will cleanse you. And so no wonder Christians have claimed this psalm as one of the deepest and most clearest indicators of the death of Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. He is, his blood was shed, a human being. He was crucified. He was killed. There was a reason why God was able to say to David, your life will not be taken away. Why? Because of the blood. There's going to be a sacrifice for you. And David's life and the whole Old Testament sacrificial system was all pointing forward to the day of Christ and the atonement where Jesus, through faith, he receives our sin and we receive his right standing with the Father. That psalm takes us right there.
an approach to God, have mercy. A confession of sin, original sin. I'm tainted with sin. I can't do anything other than sin. An appeal for cleansing and then a desire for inward renewal. Create. Have you ever sung the song, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Don't you love singing that song? What does it mean? Not only do I need the cleansing that comes from the blood of Christ, I also need your Holy Spirit, or else I will return to sinning. Lord, give me the power. Give me the ability to not only see the truth, to recognize the truth, but your Holy Spirit will give me the power to stay in the truth. It will give me the the ability to say no to sin and to living in sin. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And in the New Testament, Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you. John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit can empower you. And that's what David prays for, this renewing of the Holy Spirit's power in his life as he confesses his sin. And then wonderfully, when he's done that, there's a promise to teach others the lessons that he has learned. Isn't that fascinating? And what lesson has he learned Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. What a promise. Is your heart broken this morning? Have you sinned terribly this week? In any way, shape or form, have you blown it with a spouse, with a son or a daughter? You've been bent out of shape at work. The only sacrifice God asks of you is to have a broken and a humble heart as you come before him and all will be made new. All can be cleansed. You can be filled again with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the promise and the only thing the Lord asks of you is to come before him humbly admitting your need and it's yours and lastly David ends up praying for the prosperity he can see the repercussions there were going to be repercussions for his sin even though he was forgiven filled with the spirit now cleansed but the repercussions and the ricochet of his sin would go all the way through his family. There can still be repercussions from your sinfulness. Pregnancy. In David's family, it would be rape of one of his daughters by one of his sons. Sexual abuse was in the family. It's all there to be read about. But God is bigger than all of it. 
And David prays, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The heart that has come to the truth of who it is before God, recognizes who God is, recognizes the cross of Christ as being the perfect sacrifice for sinners, recognizes your need for the renewing of the Holy Spirit is a heart that would not only be humble before the Lord and humble before other people, but a heart that will be bold to teach others their transgressions. And also pray for others that they will not be the recipients of the consequences of your sin. Amen? Amen. As we come to the table this morning, let's remember we have a full and perfect welcome before God in His Son, Jesus Christ. Eat of Him, drink His blood, and may your consciences be washed and cleansed from any guilt so that you can walk in humility and in boldness before the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.